You're listening to Personal Rejection Letter, a podcast by writers with day jobs. Hi, Kelly. Hello, Welcome Dan. to Personal Rejection Letter Podcast in our new podcast studios. Yes, if you could call it that. It's uh, kind of exciting. New equipment, new energy, new vibe. New kind of delay between talking to each other, it seems like. But, uh, you know, yeah. I guess that's just how it goes. I noticed um, that. Well, we'll just have to be careful not to step over each other and to uh, pause Right. We're on Skype, as we have been, but we're no longer in the WOG studio. Um, we moved it to my office at Augustana College, and we also it's a portable studio now in that it can also be moved to other places. Um, and we're just recording a Skype conversation using some software. We're, we're figuring it out, but we have each uh, shiny new microphones, not to be confused with phallus. Yeah. <coughs> Pardon me. They are often confused with mine. Mine can't be confused with a phallus because it has a uh, warm sock over it, so that I don't spit on it, which is very different from a phallus. But yeah, we both have new microphones, so in case if you're noticing that we sound richer, much smarter, yeah. it's because of the new microphones. I'm gonna post a picture of it. Neato. Um, as far as the sock over the phallus, that's the Red Hot Chili Peppers thing. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. True men don't kill coyotes. Monsters of Sock. Yeah. They, uh, California band, much maligned by most of the people I know. It's like really popular to Is that right? hate the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yeah, I think so. Like it, it's, they're not hip anymore. I think they, whatever hipness they may have had faded. Um, and there's a lot of like creepy sexual assault kind of stuff, you know, sort of hovering around that band. Um, but hey. Oh, really? Well, I know they were one of those bands that had like severe personnel changes, and a lot of times that that gets makes things confusing. There's eras with the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yeah, I actually know about it. It's they their their original guitar player died of a heroin overdose, which is pretty legit. That's pretty rock and roll. And then uh, they got a new guitar player sure. who actually was better than the guy that committed that died, and. Um, then that guy went into rehab, and then they got the Jane's Addiction guitar player to replace him, and it just didn't work. And then the uh, the, the second guy came back, and then I think they changed a drummer at one point. But it's still Flea and Anthony. It's always been them. Man, it's like it's like uh, behind the music here. It's like VH1 all of a sudden. Thanks for tuning in to VH1, everybody. A little embarrassing that I know that much, but, you know, I just... Uh, um, I listened to them when I was younger, and I uh, they were a California band. I was a California boy. Shouldn't have to apologize, but... Uh, I thought they were one of those bands that... Uh, I th- Yeah, I always thought that they were one of those bands that had eventually, like, one of their super fans just sort of took over the operation. Like, Journey. Journey did that. They got rid of the lead singer, and they had one of their fans just step in and their guitar uh, player take, was take on that role. The second guitar player, um, it was the Red Hot Chili Peppers was his favorite band, and he came from like the middle of the country to California to audition, blew him away and became like the guitar player that, you know, defines them really their career, which is kind of a cool right. story. 
That's awesome. I don't know. It is awesome. Yeah, it's very punk rock in a, in its own way. In its own way, punk rock in the way that a band that plays the Super Bowl halftime show is punk rock. But uh, anyway, hey, I bet Did you they we, play it? we have other things to talk about besides uh, this rock and roll band, don't we? Kelly, uh, have, do the Red Hot Chili Peppers get reviews at all? Do people review them? Well, I think so, considering that, you know. Do you read reviews of music bands? No, but I probably did when I was younger. Maybe I did. I know that, you know, there were, you know, there's like um, magazines and stuff. Uh, what was it? Like Tiger Beat or something? Wasn't that like a... That's the one you got, yeah. You got Tiger Beat. I, I read Rolling Stone and Spin, stuff like that. <laughs> well, those are like the grown-up ones. The Tiger Beat was a teenager one. Yeah, yeah I think well, Rolling Stone is probably a good a good uh, example. Well, the thing about music is that like you could write a real scathing review of something, and then somebody listens to the song, and it just catches them anyway, and they're going to just go out and buy the album. I don't know how much impact the music review has but a book review is something different i think a book review does have the power to make or break at least a contemporary book but before you say whether you agree or more likely how much you disagree with me that's me crumbling up paper i don't know if we have the sound effect anymore in the new no, studio we don't. do we i think um no it's uh our sound engineer is off for the summer and we uh we're just winging it so yeah good old-fashioned Paper crumbling. To, uh, I can do it better than in that circumstance. I like it's it. It's time for our revisions, and I think we have like uh, yeah, I think it sounds it's it's warmer. Mm-hmm. It's analog versus digital. I think we have like a special podcast wide revision, which maybe you want to introduce, start talking sure. about. I assume both of us are going to talk about this in the revision. Yeah, this is a special one time kind of double whammy that we both it was such an egregious need to revise that we both came to it so i think that it's fair that we both devote our our period of this segment our our side of the segment to explaining and just kind of acknowledging that many many of the episodes lately have gone way out of order and um including one where we're talking about an episode that hasn't dropped yet and it must be very confusing. Um, we were, which is the episode that did that? It was the Bigfoot porn episode. It we was were, the, yeah, the no, right. We were talking about Manguso a lot, and we had uh, that was the one where we were making fun of that book about aphorisms, a book filled with aphorisms. And so we just kind of like on the momentum of that, just kept talking about aphorisms. But it's still to this to this minute, to, as of this recording, has not aired yet. It hasn't, but it will have by the time that this drops. Yeah. <laughs> so actually, this revision is not really going to f- fulfill any real function except acknowledging that, yes, we do know that we fucked up. But that's okay, too. Yeah, things have been out of order. Yeah. And so once, even though that one uh, came way out of order, did the others go out of order? I'm not even sure. Like, I had trouble following it. I'm not sure which or yeah, I think it just got scrambled a little bit. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know. On some level, it doesn't matter, except in that one episode we kept referring to the one that we had recorded earlier, and um, it's. But I, I like to see that as as a foreshadowing rather than a mistake. 
um, and a bit of postmodern kind of exactly. taking things out of their order to make the listener work a little harder and reconceptualize what a podcast is. Because I think that's really what we're doing here with this. We're we're trying to reinvent the podcast, um, and I think we're doing a damn good job of it. If I, you know, I don't. I hate to brag, <laughs> but um, <laughs> so it was an artistic choice. It's yes. definitely a, a feature, not a bug, as they say. And as far as revision goes, like what would we do differently? And I think just at this stage of our of the the life of the podcast, and I think that I. And I guess we could say we put a lot of responsibility on a 20-year-old college kid who we, you know, and we were just kind of dumping everything on on Gabe. And I think it was overloaded his kind of ability to be organized and all that. And we probably should have limited. Right. We we should have been more on on it rather than just assuming he would do because that's leadership, Dan. Leadership is modeling the good behavior, and I think leadership is just doing everything so that the people that you're leading don't have to do it because you know they're going to fuck it up. That's my definition of leadership. And if Gabe were here right now, what do you think he'd say as, as – what do you think he learned from this experience? I know he's not here. Did you conduct an exit interview with him? No. <laughs> no. That's uh, another thing of leadership that I failed in, but – um uh, I don't know. I what did what would he say? I didn't. I couldn't penetrate his inner life, to be honest. I don't know if he's reflective or if he's not. Um, he's silent about it to me. Um, I just think and he was just like he's not a listener too. That once he's off the pay, once he's off the payroll, he's not going to be listening to this. So that's the assumption. I guess. But then if he, you know, I'm not trash talking him. Just saying that I don't know if no. he would have. Uh, if he would have learned anything, um, but uh, yeah, so there's our there's my side of the revision. I don't know. Do you have anything and more to add? This is something. Oh, oh shit! Are you still there? Yeah, I'm here. Wait a second. Okay, sorry. My cat just stepped on the keyboard, uh, and he was rubbing his face up against the microphone. So this is something good about being at home instead of being in the library. I have my cat here. Ah. Um, I was gonna make a clever. Well, it wasn't going to be clever, but it was going to be an attempt at being clever, a uh, segue from reviews to, you know, work reviews to book reviews, which is the subject of today's episode, The Book Review. Right. And uh, so I think that you basically hinted that you're not really a big reader of book reviews. Is that describe your relationship with book reviews? Um, if there is a writer who I personally don't like. Either, either personally or don't like the writing, and that person has a new book that comes out, and it's being, it's, you know, kind of comes in with a lot of fanfare. I search out yes. terrible, like, savage book reviews about it, and then right. read it and really enjoy it. And then right. really just ignore all the positive reviews. That's basically the book so, reviewing. And, and then just, like, when my own book came out, there was, like, a trickle of reviews that came in and i read everyone and well we'll talk about our own book reviews in a minute but yeah so you basically it functions as schadenfreude for you and it seems like with the number of book reviews i feel like there's more book reviewers than hold on <coughs> excuse me i feel like there's more book reviewers than readers at some point because there's so many blogs reviewing books and that sort of thing so if you're looking for 
if you're looking for some takedowns and hatchet jobs, you'll find them on any writer that you don't like. Yeah, that, I guess I've never, I don't read blog book reviews. It just always seems to be New York Times book review, LA Times book review. Um, but yeah, I guess blogs did step in because what I hear from writers in general is that the book review is dead. Like, I mean, it used to be every newspaper in the country had a full-time book reviewer. And right. And that it's also like the decline of the newspaper. But now there's hardly any book reviewers and the people that review books now for big magazine newspapers are fellow writers. And they're not really book reviews, they're book recommendations. They don't they almost I think that's right. They yeah. almost are never negative and including if the book is terrible that they just won't very few writers want to go there because they know that their book will be the next one reviewed. And so it's a gentleman's and gentlewoman's agreement to we're going to all kiss each other's asses on these pages and hopefully it'll help us all sell books. Yeah, I heard the writer Richard Ford talking about writers of his generation that they don't review each other's books negatively. It's sort of a, I guess, a gentleman's agreement. That sounds like a very old fashioned term at this point, but that is what they had. Whereas the writers of the previous generations, let's say Hemingway and Fitzgerald and all those guys, that they did review each other's books and sometimes quite savagely and got into these big literary feuds, which were, you know, it was fun for the readers, but maybe not so much fun for the for the writers. Maybe it was fun for them, too. I don't know. I sort of miss those days, though, a little bit. Oh, I miss it. I think um, and I think those were days, too, that a lot of people read. So it mattered, you know, and it wasn't going to, you know, kind of kill somebody's career because they got one bad review. Um, but nowadays, right. I think the whole writing career and the whole publishing industry is so tenuous that everybody's afraid that it'll, you know, the whole thing will crumble if you are too mean to it or too rough with it. And that's sad in its own way. But I don't know that treating every single book that comes out with kid gloves is the right answer to uh, the publishing woes and the fact that we don't have as many readers, right? If well, you... I think that the the point of the book review has changed a little bit. But like you said, they're book recommendations, and I think that they are useful for that. It's sort of almost you know to get the word out even. But back in the day, you know, a book review would uh, uh, it was serious criticism, and so there would be pages and pages devoted to style, to substantive issues of like of structure and stuff like that. I mean, it, you could also even argue that books maybe in the seventies were a little bit more ambitious for lack of a better word if you think about somebody like barth or uh barthel may or uh who am i i'm blanking on this the guy from uh pension pension yeah like pension like the, yeah. the, you, you needed sort of pages and pages to kind of tackle what gravity's rainbow is all about whereas i don't think it would take you that long to review eat pray love no yeah i guess i don't know maybe it would but um have you uh heard of a book called a reader's manifesto i have that in my notes i'm glad you brought that up oh good yes i have um i'm looking at it right now it also it was an article um that came out in the atlantic monthly first um and it is a right well why don't you are you ready to go there i didn't mean to jump the gun well yeah i let's talk about it i mean i when that came out i read it first in the atlantic uh, and it just electrified me. It, it just did everything that I wanted a piece of writing to do. Basically, what it was is it took four or five 
super famous writers at the time or super popular writers. And it was really a pretty serious and uh, specific attack on their books. And he did a very, something very clever, which was to take the, the, the passages that were cited in other people's reviews as being really great writing and turned it around and said, well, here's why this actually isn't really great writing. And particularly with writers that were annoying, I think Rick Moody was one of them, as I recall. Yeah, Rick Moody. And, uh, Don DeLillo, White Noise. He, yeah, he, he went and he kind of savaged the beginning of White Noise, which is always held up as like one of the great passages of American literature. Which so he's super ballsy, um, and uh, really he really he went after uh, Andy yeah, Prue, Andy Prue, and the, also the um, the horse guy. What's his name? McCarthy. Cormac McCarthy. Uh, right. He also. Um, Snow falling on cedars, right? <laughs> which we have ha- yeah. have harsh. It's it, that book is kind of generally seen now as a terrible book, but it came out to rave reviews. Just you know, kind of just uniformly rave reviews. And um, here's a here's a part he excerpts um, that I'm going to read if you don't mind. Go ahead. From uh, the it's a sex scene. And, and sex scenes are always risky and always can maybe not work. And, and so I don't want to be too mean, except on, I do want to be too mean. I'm going to take uh, I'm going to take the sock off my phallic microphone here. OK, go ahead. <laughs> OK. Um, OK, so this is um, Gunterson. I forget his first name. Um, writing. And it's a you know, it's a story about it's a love story in inter national love story interracial love story so they have sex have you ever done this before he whispered never answered hatsui you're my only the head of his penis found the place it wanted for a moment he good lord for a moment he waited there poised and kissed her he took her lower lip between his lips and gently held it there then with his hands he pulled her to to him and at the same time entered her so that she felt his scrotum slap her skin her entire body felt the rightness of it her entire body was seized to it hatsui arched her shoulder blades her breasts pressed themselves against his chest and a slow shudder ran through her it's right she remembered whispering it feels so right kabuo and then there's Tadiyama Aware ga watawa wakata. He had answered, I understand just now the deepest beauty. That's the passage. You know, I was thinking that when you were reading this, that like the new audio books, like Lincoln and the Bardo and stuff, has sound effects and music and stuff like you that. And that that I, I really hope that somebody. You? Yeah, I wanted to hear the. <laughs> and then the Japanese whispering. And yeah, <laughs> that's good. Um, is that, I assume that's that's what those sounds were at the end. It's it's Japanese. They're, they're saying to each other. It's Japanese, and that's another thing that he, the guy that he was sort of a mystery man. B. R. Myers, um, published by by the way, our good friends at Mill. Well, wait, wait, wait. You should say that. Yeah, B. R. Myers is, is the. This, it was a pseudonym of the guy who wrote that, the uh, Reader's Manifesto. Correct. So this guy, it turns out, everybody wanted to know who he was. Um, Turns out that he was a guy who grew up in Korea, like the 
child of a diplomat or something like that. And um, he happened to know Japanese, um, probably among, I think he has, knew a lot of languages. And uh, one of the, <laughs> aside from just the bad writing and the bad sex scene of the Gunterson novel, it um, the Japanese was just wrong all the way through it, just like really bad, like some frat boy getting a tattoo that's supposed to mean strength, but it means like you know where's the bathroom or whatever. Lemon drop, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so uh, anyway, but that's just I mean that's just icing on the cake. I mean the English is so bad, the prose is so bad, it's so wooden. I, I mean me, it's almost unfair. I would say that that's almost unfair because the sex scenes, like you said, they're hard to do uh, convincingly and unawkwardly. And maybe look, maybe that's what sex was like in the eighties. When was that published? Nineties? Maybe that's what sex was yeah, like in the nineties. I think it was. You are my only. I remember. If that, yeah. I can't. I wish I, I didn't could, have a. Could remember how many times I've I've heard that you know back in the nineties when people were virgins. We didn't um, kiss each other. We would hold each other's lower lips in our lips. That was that was how we did it. <laughs> would you chew a little or just hold it? Just hold it there, and you then, know what? It's you know, like until, those dogs. Until the started. Those uh, retriever dogs that get, that hold the ducks that you shoot. But they don't bite them. They're so gentle, right? That uh, <laughs> you, they kind of swim out, grab the duck in their gentle jaws, and bring it back. Not a single bite mark. That's sort of what was going on in that that era. Yeah. In fact, back in the day, like when you dropped off a, your date, like at her parents' house, they would check for bite marks on the lips, and if there weren't any, then you could have a second date. Yeah. Times were different. Yeah, and so you had to learn that skill, gentleness. How about a little gentleness, people? I'm talking to you millennials out there. You don't have to just kind of like, you know, bite and slam. You can kind of gently press. And uh, you can, you have to know what your penis wants, though. And it needs to find mm -hmm. the place it wants, and you need to facilitate it. Hey, by the way, kudos to you if you can figure out what your penis wants. I, 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 uh... I have done a lot of research and have come up with, I cannot figure out a, a unified theory of what my penis wants. But that's another topic. That would be a good title. Kelly, when your book came out, what my penis wants? Yeah. What Dan's penis wants. What Dan's penis, what the penis wanted. How about that? Um, I don't know if this will come out of order, but we did do an episode on titles. Maybe this will be before that. I, hey, the Kelly title Dan one will come before this, so yeah. Yes, Dan Lindman. When your book, Cloud Break California, from Copper Canyon Press, is that right? No. Um, that would have been cool. Copper Canyon is a very well-known uh, poetry press. It was called Owl Canyon. Owl Canyon Press. I knew it was a canyon. Yeah, there's a canyon there. Yep. I knew it. Boulder, Colorado. When I, was, when I was reading it, I heard a lot of echoing and stuff like that. But when your book came out, Cloud Break California. Did did you what? Tell me about the critical reception you got. So in other words, what were sort of the reviews? And when you would when you were aware that you were about to read a review of your book, what was that experience like? Did you did you was it nut crunching? Did stomach turn? Uh, what happened? I guess it was exciting. Um, you know, I got a publisher's weekly reviews right off the bat, and I thought, oh, that's fucking awesome. And it wasn't a starred review. I wasn't expecting that because it was such a minor book in a minor press but um but it was a good review and then there was another review that was sort of 
There was a review that was like vaguely positive from I think Booklist or something, but it was raw. It was like ac- inaccurate in terms of the plot that it summarizes and just lazy. Right, uh, it was like a reviewer who got paid fifty bucks to write the review and who didn't read the book, but yet just kind of like riffed on. Anyway, there there was some of that going on. Um, maybe I shouldn't say publish. Um, um, whatever I said, book list, because I, I could be totally wrong. I think about you that. were clear that you were unsure which which one it was that right. had done that. Um, but it's uh, so there was that. And then I got a mostly pretty good reviews. I got I got um, two really good reviews. One was in Ziziva. A guy named oh, yeah. Paul Wilner, who's like a good, great journalist and re- reviews a lot of books. Um, he wrote me. A, really? The guy who's a great journalist. Wrote the good review. Yeah. He was very, very intelligent in the way that he reviewed my book <laughs> and uh, really yeah. liked it. Um, and the guy who got paid 50 bucks was uh, bad. Not that good. Bad. Yeah. I bet you Paul got paid like 150. <laughs> See, that's you need to. If, yeah, you want, maybe... if you want quality, you got to you got to take the wallet out, man. Um, but your book then, was pretty readable. I mean. He could probably read it in two days, three days. It's it's not like uh, it wasn't a 800-page tome. It wasn't a man without qualities. Are you talking about my book? Yeah. I mean, you, you probably – for 150 bucks. I mean, that's probably not a bad hourly wage. Yeah, I, I guess. I don't know. It seems like it takes a long time to read a book, even even a not super long one. But, um, but yeah, whatever. I don't know what he got paid, actually. There, nobody mentioned that to me or anything. And uh, Ziziva doesn't, probably doesn't really pay. You know, it's a literary journal. Yeah. It's a good one. Right. Um, I also got a really good review from the local paper, the local weekly paper in the Quad Cities. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. Called the River City Reader, and I was on the cover. Big old picture of me on the cover. Walking into places. People looking at me. <coughs> the bar. Walk into the bar. There's like the whole stack of the yeah. free papers. Look at those. See that guy on there? That's me. Give me a free beer. And that was a And pretty... I think you're in a bar in that picture, right? Yeah. No, this is Roz Talks. Roz oh, okay. Talks but it looks of... like a bar. It is like a bar. It's a cafe. Cafe. Like a Parisian-style cafe. Mm-hmm. Um, so that yeah, was that, good... No, that was a cool picture. You kind of – do you have your arms crossed or something or – you sort of you have like a serious writerly look on your face. There's a story about this actually. I the m- magazine said, "Oh, we're going to get a photographer," um, and so the photographer contacts me by email. Hey, when can you meet? I'm like, "Hey, actually, I'm going to a poetry reading tonight at Roz Talks, and um, you know, maybe we can meet there." I thought he was going to have a little camera, snap a couple pictures. I could stand in front of a brick wall, look cool, whatever. So I go to the poetry reading, which is this poet that I know um, who used to teach at Augie. She's from Iowa City, or she went to that program. She was very successful and um, much more successful than me, like, by far. And uh, But she, it's her poetry reading, and um, so she's there getting ready. I haven't seen her in months or even years. Oh, hey, what's going on? You're reading. And then all of a sudden, this <laughs> photographer comes in and starts setting up. This enormous, like all those big, like reflection screens. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got like yeah. two of those that are enormous, and it's and he's got all these tripods and different kinds of cameras. This big bag just takes over like a good quarter of the whole building, of like, the whole room. 
so he, and she's like, this is for you? And just the hatred, the utter loathing on her face. was just, She just could not. And I just wanted to explain. You I'm not stole tr- her knife. From I her. was. I wanted to explain. I didn't do this on purpose. Like I swear to God, this is. I'm not trying to make a statement. This is just a weird coincidence <laughs> that this is like. And and the guy spent like a half an hour taking pictures of me while the poetry reading is getting set up. And um, <laughs> I have to say, it was. It's a great sweet. idea. <laughs> yeah, you should. We should always go to other people's readings and like bring like a documentary film camera and just have the camera on us the whole time. <laughs> anyway, yeah. So that was fun. <laughs> oh, one well, other, good. What about you? How was your critical reception of your book? Well, no, you started that with saying one other thing. So do the other thing. Uh, no, we don't have to talk about my. I was going to go backwards to Reader's Manifesto because there was one thing I wanted to make clear um, that he has an argument um, that there's kind of a subtle argument going through. And what what the argument is, is that book reviews are a scam. They're just advertisements and they have absolutely nothing to do with the quality of the book. It's the amount, how badly the publisher wants this to be a big book. And what he says is that they're useless and even worse than useless, they're misleading. And he, the way he picks books and he even kind of talks about some books that he likes, he would just go into a library and he recommends doing this to completely ignore book reviews and go to libraries and look around on the stacks in the fiction or whatever until you find one that sounds, looks interesting, a title that's interesting, read the back and then just choose for yourself and, and read books you've never heard of because... Um, And I think that's really interesting, but the one thing book reviews do, they signal to our culture, this is the book everybody's going to be talking about. So if you want to be, if you want to talk about it, then this is the book you have to read, whether you like it or not. Right. And if you read a book book that that we're putting all the money behind. Yeah. And if you read a book that nobody else has read, no matter how amazing it is, there is part of the pleasure of, of reading is talking to other people who have read it and and there's like a shared cultural yep. kind of thing and so in a way you can't get away from the whole book review racket if you want to kind of participate in the conversation right it is true yeah and i think that they're useful i i have read um i mean they can be useful james woods i think is a good reviewer or he was i don't even know if he still writes anymore he used to write very long book reviews in the New Republic that I found very useful. James Wood, a uh, good actor too. Yeah, <laughs> well, you know he's very smart. I don't know if you're aware of that. Yeah. <laughs> he's always talking about his IQ. The actor, I, I assume the writer doesn't talk about his IQ. Um, my yeah, my personal experiences with the book reviews is that uh, I I I I always have to preface this story with by saying like I got plenty of good reviews and I did get I got mostly you know fine like just like sort of whatever reviews like here's the book this was okay it was partly it was okay Headline, and i got perfectly like one, harmless <laughs> right mostly okay yeah short story collection we read three of them they're they're okay uh, i did get one bad review and it it did feel so bad it felt really like I, I got like sort of a an attack review and it, it was sort of the it had the inverse um thing that the good reviews have which is that it, it just pointed out a bunch of really bad ones then at the bottom it said 
actually most of the stuff in here is pretty good, but uh, you know, the, what's bad is so bad that you can't get past it. And it, it kind of really, you know, it really sort of took the wind out of my sails. And uh, even though the, even though I got good reviews after that, including one really good review in, in American, uh, I don't remember what it's called. I don't know. I got a Kirkus review and, and they were all positive and stuff like that. But the bad review really stuck with me. I mean, I sort of felt like ashamed of myself for a long time. And when it show up in the Google search, I was sort of watching to see how it would drop down. Eventually it did drop down. So don't Google it, everybody. Whew. Like if you want to know, just Whew. PM me and I'll, I'll, I'll send you a copy one. of it. To you Bury it. Google it. Yeah. Bury that bad review well, under good reviews. One other really unfair thing that happened was that like the, I got a, I got a, a zero star review on Goodreads. Uh, and it zero star. me off about zero Wait. stars. And the, and the whole review was this heteronormative codswaddle. That was the review. A little bit clever, <laughs> but here's the problem. I would read it. Here's why I thought it was unfair. The book hadn't come out yet. There was, <laughs> there weren't even any reviewer copies yet. Yeah. All that had happened was it had been announced. Yeah. So like the review was based on the title married but looking you know what so yeah i guess based on the title it could sound like heteronormative codswaddle you know what but that's i called? think like your review should say what that's called a scoop scooped everybody <laughs> yeah it's scooped the new york times yeah. everybody review it before it comes out how do you you know how would you you <laughs> know what? the only way the to scoop was... that scooper would be to review it before the writer has even conceived of it yeah yeah. Well, Kelly, you know what my manuscript is now that I'm working on. Why don't you go on and review it right now, just in case I get it published at some point? I would be the first. I would be the first. And you know how the first is. Ask uh, David Gunterson how important being the yeah. first is. You know? It's the first exactly. uh, scrotum slap ever. <laughs> but still, when you know it's right. <laughs> it's right. <laughs> It's right. It's what, right. Wait, what was the line? This is how it was always meant to be. I know it's right. Yeah, something like that. Um, okay. I had a pretty anyway. funny uh, review. Um, funny oh, Goodreads, Goodreads share it review. With I will. It uh, was actually three stars, three out of five. I mean, that's not terrible. And I looked at that's it. It's right up the middle. And, it, and then it said, um, the only review was, I didn't get the point of it. <laughs> and I thought, huh? It made me think. I'm like, you know what? She may have a point. But I don't, I'm not sure but you I know the, get the point of it either. Like, I mean, it's a book. I wrote it. but uh, She didn't get the point. She still gave it three stars. So had she gotten the point, if you had just made a little effort in getting the point across, can you imagine? She would have gone up to like eight or nine stars. Yeah. I This person had like 500 reviewed I, books, so... She was just like a reviewing machine. And so uh, maybe she was. Maybe it was a review bot. But uh, And I looked at the reviews, and it was this really interesting sort of gateway into pornography. And because a ton of the reviews she did what? were – she reviewed a lot of pornography books. There's somebody named Selena Kitt. I think that's right. Selena Kitt. Okay. And there was a ton of Selena Kitt books that she loved them, like five star reviews and like how and really. And then I started clicking around, and Selena Kitt's books had like hundreds of reviews and like every, and it was all women. This is not a dude thing. It was all women, really. 
And so I read some of Selena Kitt's stuff. And um, it was uh, really well-written, straight porn. And uh, there was... <laughs> It was fun because I got some free some So free then you samples. read a second book and a third book and a fourth book. It, you know what? I thought, this is a good writer. <laughs> like, this person is a good writer. Like, Selena, I don't know if Selena is a, you know, who knows who the per, who the writer is, but uh, it's somebody who knows how to move a scene. Um, one of them was uh, Romeo and Juliet. You, you don't realize it at first, but it's, well, you get the Montagues and the Capulets. It's the Lady Montague. Yeah, that's and Lady, kind of a giveaway. Lady Montague and Lady Capulet meet in secret, and you go, oh, wow, and they're complaining about their husbands, and they're complaining about how their husbands don't want their kids to meet, to even though the kids like each other, and then they start just dildoing the hell out of each other. <laughs> it's just this, like, full-on porn, you know, woman-on-woman porn. Oh, but then you get the joke, oh, the husbands caught them doing this, and that's what the whole feud is about. And that's why Romeo and Juliet, who we haven't, it's pre, it's the prequel. That's where we realize yeah. it in so tragically because the husbands wouldn't let these two lovely ladies, you know, kind of let nature take its course. And um, see, this is why I love this podcast. We were just talking about the whole topic is bad reviews, but somehow we uncovered the fact that you have this, you know, this more than passing acquaintance of this porn writer. You're very familiar with her corpus. Very interesting. What's the name of the Romeo and Juliet book? Do you remember the title? It's not a book. It's a sh single story, and it was like a free sample. That's a that if it's Selena Kit, and I think it's like something about the Bard or. I don't know. If you go on Amazon Kindle and look around for Selena Kit, there's a whole world of Selena Kit and sort of knockoffs. And yeah. um and and you know, you kind of look around and there's all kinds of different categories of it. Um fun stuff though. It's a whole new world out there. <laughs> I'm going to check that out. You should. That sounds good. You should. Hey Kelly. Yo. What are you reading, writing, masturbating to? <laughs> Well, I actually want to retain some privacy in this, so I'm not going to talk about the last one. But okay. um, reading, I do want to talk about reading. Um, here's my reading world right now. Okay. Deep, deep into um, 2666 by Roberto Bolaño. Oh, right. But it got to the chapter or the book. It's like five separate books kind of put under one heading. And I got to the point where... Um, it's just all these murders of these women yes. in these border towns. And it's just harrowing. It's a, what I think is 2666 is one of the great literary achievements of fiction of its period. Agreed. I really, really feel like this is a masterwork. It's so hard hitting, but, and he seduces you very slowly into this border town as a reader and then puts you into the position of reading something that is so unpalatable but um, and e but now each I'm, paragraph, the way the structure of it is set up is just like each new paragraph is another murder. That's my memory of it. Yeah, it's sort of low, and, and it's so horrible. It is horrible. And what has happened is I was not able to sleep. I would read it before bed, and three o'clock in the morning, I'm like tossing and turning, thinking about the images, 
so I stopped reading it for a while. I need to come up with like daytime reading schedule to get through because I want to read this book, but it's just so brutal and so it was just you know That's you need to get your sleep. So I stepped yeah. away from the Bolaño, and I got a book. I just bought a few Bukowski books of poetry because remember mm-hmm. we were talking about Bukowski our very our pilot episode. And I was saying that we, the world needs a, a new Bukowski because we've, you know, kind of political correct sort of censorship has gotten too deeply into our uh, literature. Um, but I hadn't mm-hmm. really read Bukowski since I was a kid, really. And I, I kind of had a feeling it was lame. Um, but I got his some books of his poetry and I read my favorite one from back when I was in my early 20s, Love is a Dog from Hell. Right, I have that one. And I read it like a page-turner novel. Like I read one poem mm-hmm. after another. Completely delighted. Not everyone's good, but enough of them are good. I just, it's fantastic. And I'm going to actually read one for you. You ready for this? Okay. Yeah, absolutely. This one is really speaks to us, me and you, and all of our listeners. Now, if you were teaching creative writing, he asked... What would you tell them? That's the title. I'd tell them to have an unhappy love affair, hemorrhoids, bad teeth, and to drink cheap wine, avoid opera and golf and chess, to keep switching the head of their bed from wall to wall, and then I'd tell them to have another unhappy love affair, and never to use a silk typewriter ribbon, avoid family picnics, or being photographed in a rose garden, read Hemingway only once, Skip Faulkner, ignore Gogol, stare at photos of Gertrude Stein, and read Sherwood Anderson in bed while eating Ritz crackers. Realize that people who keep talking about sexual liberation are more frightened than you are. Listen to E. Power Biggs' work. E. Power Biggs, work the organ on your radio while you're rolling Bull Durham in the dark in a strange town with one day left on the rent after having given up friends, relatives, and jobs. Never consider yourself superior and or fair, and never try to be. Have another unhappy love affair. Watch a fly on a summer curtain. Never try to succeed. Don't shoot pool. Be righteously angry when you find your car has a flat tire. Take vitamins, but don't lift weights or jog. Then after all this, reverse the procedure. Have a good love affair. And the thing you might learn is that nobody knows anything. Not the state, nor the mice, the garden hose, or the North Star. And if you ever catch me teaching a creative writing class, and you read this back to me, I'll give you a straight A right up the pickle barrel. (laughs) Yeah. Is that delightful? This isn't slapping. This is clapping. So anyway, that's what yeah, I'm reading. That, How about you? That's great. He's so good. I mean, I just love the fact that you get like big decade long sweeps and then also like a really specific moment, like line after line after line. Yeah, fun. Just go, uh-huh. Yeah. Um, I would like, here's what's happening in my house. My wife is reading the Nicholson Baker book Substitute. Do you, yeah. I think we've talked about Nicholson Baker, but are you familiar with them? Do you? Have you read Not his stuff? Not really. No. He's really, really funny. 
at at root he's really funny and and uh this is a it's a nonfiction book and it's just it's 30 days being a substitute teacher and it's just my house is filled with uh, the sound of my wife's laughter and uh i haven't heard that for a long time because i stopped being funny to her about 15 years ago but now she'll read things out loud to me so basically we're both sort of reading it because she, yeah. she's reading out loud every other page. And uh, it's just been a great experience. And I'm going to reread it myself. And it, I think, you know, I don't really like the whole summer reading uh, trope. But th- this is a really fun book. And I would recommend, I, I think our readers would enjoy it. And our listeners would also enjoy well, it. Hey, has it reignited the uh, flame a little? You and the wife laughing together, reading each other. and between Glantz turns Molly, into a, Molly's relationship with Nicholson Baker. Yeah. Do you feel like she's cheating, kind of? She used to laugh at you, and now she's going elsewhere for the laughter outside the marriage? Not laugh at me. Laugh with me. Actually, you know what? I, I was thinking about this the other day, but I do think that a little bit. I feel like, you know, there's another man's uh, sort of uh, sense of humor that she's really spending a lot of time. Uh, it's hard to be jealous of it at the same time because I'm a willing cuckold in it since, since I'm also enjoying it quite a bit. But, yeah, I, I do feel a little jealous of it. You guys are swinging. Humor swinging. We're swinging yeah. with Nicholson Baker. Yeah, That's going to be the name of my next book, Swinging with Nicholson Baker. Kelly, this was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was, is, yeah. yes, and it has been, and it shall be. Ooh. <laughs> I was waiting for you to kind of go somewhere else. Um, I understand that you, by saying by saying that, you mean that this is we're ending, right? I think we're done because uh, we've gone for about 50 minutes, and I think that's as much as the listeners can uh, handle of us per week. We don't want to give them too much. Oh, no. We'll spoil them. They'll expect it every time. Yeah. So, uh, well, hey, listeners out there, thank you very much. And um, thank you, Dan. And let's... Thank uh, you, Kelly. Let me go ahead and just uh, turn on... So, see you guys later. Here's that music coming in. And... Um, oh, that's the beginning, not the end. Oh. I don't really... When I hear... That one, right? I think it's special thanks to Augustana College and Wog Student Radio. Gabe Tucker is our audio engineer, and Subatlantic provides the theme music. You can reach Dan and Kelly on Facebook. We always welcome comments, critiques, suggestions, and especially praise. Follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram. If you like what you hear, do a podcast a solid and leave a review on iTunes. See you next time.